Welcome to Anti-Aging Unraveled with Dr. Lori Gerber. The body is one of the most complicated systems in the universe. Dr. Gerber and her guests explore integrative medicine and cosmetic dermatology, combining traditional medicine, alternative health practices, new innovations, and technology, which work together to help you look and feel natural and age gracefully. Now, here is your host, Dr. Lori Gerber. Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to Anti-Aging Unraveled. I have a great show for everybody tonight, and I'm excited about it because I think um, in this world that we live in right now, it has a huge um, relevance um, about stress and inflammation and how it affects different parts of our body. We're going to talk a lot about something called the HPA axis, um, and hopefully by the time you guys are done listening, you'll have a good understanding of what that means and how to fix it, um, or maybe not fix it, but at least help it. So I'm going to introduce our guest today. It's Stacy Smith, um, one of my favorite professions in the world. She is a chiropractor from um, the National University of Health Sciences in Illinois, um, and she has two bachelor degrees of science, so I'm a little jealous of that, biochemistry um, and human biology, one from Michigan State and the other one from NUHS. And not only that, all of her family are chiropractors, her parents, her brother. So for 16 years, she had what I would say a more uh, well-rounded vision of medicine um, from a traditional practitioner, which is why I went to DO school, honestly. So she shares some of the same ideals and continues to work on um, different coursework and functional medicine to help um, just bring this to light um, to the community and uh, her background really is going to be a wealth of knowledge to us. So without further ado, Ms. Stacy, I want to say hi. Hi, Dr. Gerber. Thank you so much for having me and for the great introduction. It's nice to be here tonight. You're welcome. No problem. Um, so as I was saying, chiropractic, um, to me, honestly, I never knew about DO, which for those of you who don't know, means doctor of osteopathy. So um, before I knew about DO school, I was looking into chiropractic school because I just felt that um, we were just looking at medicine in a whole wrong direction. So, you know, I'm really excited to explain to everybody what we're going to talk about today and, you know, how stress and this thing called the HPA axis, which sounds so complicated, um, creates inflammation and, and, and what stressors cause all this. So if we could maybe just start with explaining what the HPA axis is. Yeah, so the HPA axis, um, it stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Um, so what happens is the hypothalamus will receive signals of stress, um, different types of stress on the body, right? So when we think of stress, we typically think of mental and emotional stress, but there's a lot more to it than that. Actually, you know, you can think about blood sugar as being a stressor. Um, cortisol is a glucocorticoid. So that definitely plays a role if people are having issues with um, their diet, eating high sugar meals or skipping meals, things like that, traveling, um, you know, those kinds of things. Also, inflammation can cause stress on the body. So inflammation can come from everything from rheumatoid arthritis um, to food allergies and other 
underlying infections that uh, I'm sure Dr. Gerber can go into great extent about. Um, and then another main bucket of stress that I highlight for patients too is sleep disturbances. And um, this is going to be, you know, we call it social jet lag, but um, it's, you know, it can be um, regular jet lag from traveling. It could be shift work. It could be just issues falling asleep because you're stressed out or trouble staying asleep, which we have to dive a little bit deeper into what's causing that. So those are the four main buckets that we focus on as far as stress affecting the HPA axis. And once the HPA recognizes stress, it will, you know, the hypothalamus will filter that and then it receives that stress signal and it releases what we call CRH, which is corticotropin releasing hormone that then triggers the pituitary gland to secrete ACTH, which is called adrenocorticotropin hormone. And then that in turn flows through the, the circulation to trigger the adrenal cortex to release cortisol. And then of course, DHEA as well, which helps to counteract that. So um, so that's that's the HPA in, in a nutshell. Like I said, it's it's any kind of stress placed on the body. It can come from external stress, internal stress, um, and you know any repercussions from infections and inflammation. So, so so let's. I'm going to put this a little more simply for you guys. Um, you know we have this cortisol stuff, right? And the cortisol is really what drives so many systems in our body. So when you were talking about insulin, I mean. I, I like to tell patients all the time, it's like putting a diabetic on steroids and watching their sugars go up, right? When we don't have this regulation of our cortisol system, so many, there's so many consequences, right? Um, so what would a patient feel if they were having what I would say cortisol dysfunction or HPA axis dysfunction? So a couple different things. Um, you know, the cortisol has a regular rhythm throughout the day and it's higher in the morning and it's it lowers it decreases as, as the day goes on because what cortisol does is it gives us energy and it helps us wake up right um it actually increases and then at its peak is when we're we're awake and we're alert um and then it decreases throughout the day so if you're having cortisol issues you can either have you know high cortisol which is going to cause um anxiety. It's going to cause you to feel wired. Um, it's, it's going to maybe give you a sense of overwhelm. Um, and then if cortisol is low, you'll experience fatigue, which is why, you know, a lot of people have, a, have chronic fatigue. Um, and that's when we would want to look at their cortisol levels and see, you know, where they are in that I always call it the cortisol continuum, right? Like, are you high? Are you low? Are you fluctuating? Um, you know, if it's really low in the morning and it's supposed to be high, you're waking up. And I always like to, to look at the concept of, you know, if people are waking up and they don't feel well rested, most people are looking at their thyroid. Well, we need to look at their HPA axis and how it's functioning their cortisol levels too, right? So, so that's one of the main indicators to me is, is either anxiety and overwhelm and moodiness um, or the, the fatigue and exhaustion and that chronic burnout. What about weight? What's your, I get uh, a lot, right? 
you know, yeah. I have a lot of athletes too. So I know many of them are tuning in and I already got one question from Facebook and it was basically, you know, how we're going to get to testing, but you know, I can't seem to lose weight. I'm training for an Ironman and what's going on because, you know, I'm exhausted, but I'm, but I'm giving myself rest. What's the deal? And then there's a sit by the same token. There's people that aren't out athletes that say, I just can't lose weight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, stress on the body, like we said, comes from many different sources and, um, working out is one of them playing sports and, and working out to an extreme. Now, um, it's kind of entertaining that, you know, we, we talk about that, you know, I used to do triathlons, sprint triathlons, not Ironman triathlons, but, um, you know, when, when you're training, you should really be looking at giving your body that time to repair as well, because when you exercise, your cortisol increases. And if you are exercising on a regular basis and you're not giving your body that time to heal and repair in between your workouts and, and doing your stretching and your, you know, trigger point therapy, massage, whatever, you know, you're doing in between, um, Epsom salt baths, all the big names, right. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely something that we look into in our, in our athletes. And then, like you said, um, you know, for our non-athletes that are having difficulty losing weight, um, you know, cortisol, increased cortisol causes truncal obesity, which is, is belly fat and, you know, the, the flank, um, fat that, you know, we, we all called muffin top. Right. Um, (laughs) so, so that, that belly fat, um, it's kind of the same concept I try to explain to people if you're familiar with people taking like prednisone or something. And if they're on it for long periods of time for an autoimmune issue, they'll actually get that moon face. So that, that can happen as well. So yeah, cortisol is definitely something that plays a role, not just in holding on to fat because your body feels like it's in danger, right? That's why we release cortisol. It's the stress response. So you know, we're in everyday society stress, but our body thinks that we're being chased by a tiger all day long, mm-hmm. you know, it. whether you're right. Yeah. And, and so whether you're in a traffic jam or you're not eating your meals regularly and timing them, um, if you're over-exercising, under-exercising, whatever the case may be, you know, you're putting stress on your body. Your body doesn't understand why it's stressed out or, or where it's coming from. It just knows it's under stress. Um, so it's, it's looking and holding on to, you know, it, it increasing that stress response, but holding on to the fat as well. Um, and, and cortisol suppresses uh, thyroid hormone and sex hormones. So, you know, getting into the weeds of like fertility issues and things, you know, that's a whole nother topic, right? Yeah, that was actually um, a question. So you could, you can keep rolling a little bit with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so cortisol actually suppresses, um, thyroid stimulating hormone release, which is TSH, which people will get tested if they get their thyroid tested. Um, and it also suppresses T4 to T3 conversion. So, you know, when people go and, and they get their thyroid hormone tested, you know, I always recommend that they also get their antibodies tested, of course, to make sure that that's, you know, it's not Hashimoto's or, you know, on, on the verge of it, there could be underlying infections that could be causing all those issues as well and increasing the antibodies, um, gluten, all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, 
looking at the HPA axis is very important when you're looking at thyroid issues because, you know, if you start replacing thyroid hormone, but you don't fix the HPA axis and the cortisol and DHEA and, and that whole system with lifestyle management and, and potential some, some nutrients to help you with stress management, um, you know, you're definitely maybe missing a piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah, um, I agree it, with you. Yeah. 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 And, and then in the same respect, you know, it's also then if your body is under stress from infections or from working out or from, you know, all the like sleep disturbances, whatever, um, you're going to like your, your body wants to get away from danger before it reproduces, right? Like the immediate concern is to live. Right. <laughs> so, Right. Yeah. So reproduction is not our high priority. It's survival. Right. And so we're going to be creating cortisol and using all our precursor nutrients to make sure that happens and staying in that like fight and flight sympathetic nervous system response instead of using that energy and, and precursor nutrients and production for the sex hormones. So that's where then we can start having imbalances with you know, estrogens and progesterone and testosterone, um, you know, and then, then, you know, you can look at neurotransmitters as well and, and the imbalance there. And then, you know, you look at all these mood issues and you're like, okay, well, is it coming from neurotransmitter imbalance? Is it coming from cortisol? Is it coming from sex hormones? Like, yes, yes. And yes. Right. (laughs) I actually think that's, you who hit the nail on the head and and I had I've had I had a bunch of lab reviews today and I think the one of the the key points to take home for people that are listening is thyroid can be directly related to cortisol right because it's just it's it's just the way that it works with the suppression so you need to check TSH T3 T4 antibodies to get the real picture of what's going on it's, I wish it was, uh, TSH was an isolation and people just say, well, my doctor checked my TSH and it was fine. Um, I never understood, even in med school, why we were just checking a TSH. It didn't make sense to me. Well, one, it's really not a thyroid hormone, right? I mean, you know, let's be honest. Right. Um, you know, it's what stimulates production, but it's not the thyroid hormone. And, you know, there's so many things that go into being able to convert your thyroid hormone into activated hormone. And, not only, you know, the cortisol response, but nutrients and all that other, or we can, we can get into gut. But, um, you know, I think that's really important to understand that thyroid can be directly related to cortisol and HPA axis dysfunction. And I do a lot of hormone therapy. And if you do not correct the cortisol, you are never going to make them feel better because you're always robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I always say to people, look, I actually use a spider web, um, a really old steroid spider web in my descriptions. When I'm explaining to patients, I say, all right, here's cortisol at the top. Here's your sex hormones, right? And actually, here's cholesterol. Here's cortisol. Here's your sex hormones. What happens if we remove cholesterol, right? <laughs> we take that out of the picture. That always makes me laugh, right? We take cholesterol. We want to make it as low as possible. Everything suffers. We take cortisol out of the picture. Everything suffers. And you're robbing one side to make the other. And you're right. You're always pulling from to essential life processes. You're always trying to make your body function, not reproduce. Reproduction is a luxury to your body. So 
you're always going to rob Peter to pay Paul until it can't keep up anymore. Right. And then the cortisol just drops. Um, so that's probably, I think why people get a little bit confused by the term adrenal fatigue. And I want to just touch on the, you know, and I use it too, because I think, you know, it was kind of ingrained in us for a long time, what adrenal fatigue is versus HPA axis dysfunction. And I think you said it best, the continuum, but maybe we can elaborate a little bit. I think it goes from high to low um, on the cortisol um, spectrum and why adrenal fatigue might be kind of a, you know, an antiquated or a term that really doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I mean, so we, we usually talk about adrenal fatigue because we're, we're thinking about this in terms of the actual adrenal gland itself. Um, because that's the hormone that we're testing, right? And cortisol comes from the, from the adrenal gland. So we're thinking, you know, well, if cortisol comes from the adrenal gland, then it's, then it's the adrenal gland's fault that cortisol isn't being produced in appropriate amounts. And, you know, if we look at it from the standpoint of the, the full system, um, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, uh, looking at the physiology of the stress response system, you know, we know that we're, we're looking at more of the, the controlling the pathway from upstream than just the release of cortisol downstream um, or lack thereof. Um, so, you know, really we should, in my opinion, use the term HPA access function or dysfunction um, or even the term maladaption um, is, is a, more appropriate way of describing the consequences of, you know, explaining how stress affects the body as a system. And, and it comes down to, you know, we take all these really complicated medical topics in physiological processes, and we try to simplify them. So it makes sense. But in doing so, we actually lose the deeper meaning over time. And then you kind of, you know, need to take that step back and say, okay, well, is it really adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion? Um, or is it, you know, looking at the whole physiology of, of the system and saying like, you know, how often do we really have Addison's or Cushing, Cushing's right. disease, right? Like this is, these are opposite extreme, like hyper or hypo cortisol situations. And, you know, they're opposite extremes and they happen like what, less than 1% of the time or something yeah. crazy. So we want to look at like everything in between and, and we're not prescribing cortisol and we're not removing the adrenal gland. So like, what are we doing? There isn't really like a, a prescription for this. Right. Right. And, and so like, if you look at it from a functional standpoint, it's like, how can we help this system? Um, if we're not going to prescribe something like testing cortisol, typically if you go into a, a, a primary care's office, you know, my understanding is that you would get, uh, and this is actually my experience too. And I loved my primary care. So I'm not saying anything other than, you know, like 
I went in and I was like, man, I don't feel well. What's happening to me? You know, clearly we start studying these things because we've been through them ourselves or we know somebody who has, right? Um, <laughs> so I went in and I, you know, finally had a, a one serum cortisol. So a blood sample taken in the morning when I got my thyroid tested as well and all my other like foundational blood work. And it was like, yeah, I mean, you probably don't have anything, but it's a little high. So we're going to send you for, you know, more testing. Well, after a while, and I wasn't really getting any better, you know, I was eating healthy, I was physically active, um, you know, going, going through all these things when you look at like, oh yeah, my blood sugar might, might've been a little off, but I was eating healthy. So where was that coming from? Like it was stress on my body from different avenues that, that were, it was causing small little things that made me think something was wrong. And that one cortisol sample wasn't cutting it to, to give the full picture of what was happening with my entire stress response system. Um, so you know, that's when I started seeking out like a, a functional medicine practitioner, being a practitioner myself, I'm going, why can't I figure out what's wrong with me? Do I need more amino acids? Do I need to do more yin yoga? Like, do I need to meditate? Like what's happening? Um, and, and so that's when I really dove into how functional medicine practitioners test cortisol and, and looking into that as well. So I kind of like extrapolated, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at the the upstream system to understand the whole thing in between those two extremes, basically. So that was my my point. Just, Sorry, I your point. Your point was great. Um, <laughs> and I like your story about you because I have the same or a very similar story. So, mm -hmm. um, do you? So when you test for for HPA axis HPA axis dysfunction, um, you know we can, there's lots of different ways to do that, right? We can do a morning cortisol and then we can see what it is. And, you know, before 9am, we could do a, a, saliv a salivary cortisol, you know, over five point, which is the whole day um, and in the middle of the night. Um, do you find that either one is more beneficial than the other, I guess is the first question. Um, do you feel like you can really almost or lack of like wanting to, you know, shun my lab people. But do you feel like you can really diagnose someone with what I would say an HP axis dysfunction or external stressors without necessarily having the cortisol confirmation? Um, okay. So you're saying, can I, can I do it without testing? Yeah. Can you do it without, I mean, do you feel that you can really make that diagnosis without testing? And if you can, okay, perfect. If not, you know, do you feel like we need a saliva or do we have to do a five point? Do you feel like that's the best way to really get a curve? Um, just kind of curious on your opinion. So I, I talk to practitioners that do both and I find the most successful practitioners do the salivary testing with cortisol awakening response. Yeah. So in the very least five point, um, I do have practitioners that, that look at the symptoms. Um, I, we are playing a little bit more of the trial and error game when we do that. Right. Yeah. So we're looking at it like, okay, what is causing your anxiety or your fatigue? Is it high or low cortisol? 
is it neurotransmitters? Is it blood sugar? Is it sex hormones? Like, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if we could just get all those and measure them and see what the, the problem is? And then we know exactly. So yeah, we, we can, we can do it with a questionnaire and try to figure out like, where are your major stressors coming from? Right. Is it your blood sugar? Do you have a lot of emotional stress going on in your life with, you know, work or family or finances or whatever the, the big three, right. Um, do you have inflammation from somewhere like your gut or, you know, other, uh, like, did you have your hip replaced, whatever, you know, like what else is going on in your system, which sometimes can lead to infections as well. Um, and then, you know, or like, how are you sleeping? And then it's why aren't you sleeping? If that's the problem, like, is it self induced sleep hygiene kind of stuff? Like, do we need to look at, you know, your bedroom temperature, your activities two hours before bed as far as blue light and eating and that kind of stuff? Is it trouble falling or staying asleep? Whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we can figure out some of it through asking questions, either a questionnaire or just talking to the patient in, in, you know, um, in conversation. But um, yeah, it is really nice to get, <laughs> to get that. I, I actually will look at some practitioners um, cortisol results and I'll be asking them questions that they're like, Oh, I didn't think about asking that question. That's really interesting. Like, what time are they eating? Oh, this person must be a shift worker because this right. is when they're waking up, right? Like I can tell a lot from a patient if I see their cortisol results and I look at it from the perspective of like, yeah, it's really cool to see where their cortisol is. So then I know I can, you know, like if you look at a diurnal pattern, which is those four, the four samples during the day, which would be you know, the salivary sample immediately when you wake up, another one, basically lunch, dinner and bedtime, right? So those four, if I look at those, I can say, you know, if you have a spike or a crash, what are you eating? If you have high cortisol at night, what's happening when you come home from work? Are, is that the only time you eat a meal? Because there are like, mm -hmm. you know, people in professions that don't eat until they get home at night and they eat one big meal or they eat, you know, are they stressed out because they've got dinner to prepare homework to get done with their kids, everything to get ready for the next day? Because I always call these people like my, my, my working moms, right? Like, they've got all the things to do for the next day and all the things to do when they get home and they've got work to think about and, and all of that. Um, so, you know, is that why your cortisol is going up? Like let's do some lifestyle management stuff. So, um, or there's like, we call them bookends. If you're really high cortisol in the morning and really high cortisol at night, let's look at your gut. Let's, let's start diving deeper into if you have some gut infections or parasites or something like, you know, so there's a lot you can tell from that. And then pattern. to, yeah, the patterns, the patterns and the spikes and the crashes and, um, you know, getting into cortisol awakening response. Those are the three morning salivary samples. Um, and so 
personally, I would prefer to see a cortisol awakening response with the diurnal pattern because um, I'm needy. Um, <laughs> I I want to see what's happening. <laughs> yeah, like I honestly, it's it's really super interesting because they'll do um, you know those those three morning samples. So you'll you'll give a patient uh, a tube and they'll. Um, they'll do the saliva sample immediately when they wake up and then they'll set, uh, before they brush their teeth, they, they, you know, drink water. That's it. All you, all we let you do. Um, <laughs> and, and then we'll have them set an alert and do another sample in 30 minutes and then another sample 30 minutes after that. So it'll be like zero 30, 60 from, from awakening. Um, and then we'll do an afternoon and an evening, or maybe we'll do a lunch afternoon and evening. It depends on who you test through, um, and, and, you know, what you're kind of looking for, but, um, yeah, that, that cortisol awakening response, we, we abbreviate it to CAR and, um, CAR indicates, you know, really it's how robust your stress response is. It, it gives you that knowledge of, basically kind of where you are in your oxidative stress and, and leading potentially to chronic disease. Um, there is information in the research that talks about cortisol awakening response being used as an oxidative stress marker now, actually like right along with like high sensitivity, C-reactive protein and, you know, LDL and, and all that stuff. Um, so it's kind of interesting where you can kind of see like how far along the stress continuum is your patient. And it also is, is a great indicator of like how long it's going to take them to get better. Right. So if their car is like very high in the morning, um, it has like this great spike and, and then it comes back down. You look at that person as having like really high perceived stress. Um, you know, so they're waking up and they're already like, ramped up for the day so you know that they have quite a bit going on their brains already functioning before they even wake up it might even wake them up earlier than they would want to be awakened and they they wake up with maybe even anxiety right um but if their if their cortisol awakening response is low and it doesn't ramp up like that then you're looking at somebody who wow you're you're pretty far into this kind of chronic stress um, you might not be able to ramp a stress response at all, even, you know, if somebody comes up and scares you or, you know, you, you might have zero reaction, you might be super docile and, and that's not good either. Right. Um, and that really gives an indication of, of, you know, then it's going to take longer to fix those people because we need to fix, you know, maybe some precursor nutrients. We need to re-regulate the stress response in general. So I like to get both because it gives me a good indication of where they are um, with that daytime, you know, morning cortisol awakening. And then the, the diurnal cortisol during the day gives me the cool pattern of like, oh, what else you have going on? <laughs> and, and just to kind of put this out there, because I do get this question a lot. Um, this isn't something that, you know, our regular labs in the area typically do. It's, it's one that we kind of send out. It's, it's a saliva test that we give you and you send out. Um, so it's not done at, you know, your local, and I'm not going to use names, but your local labs, um, that it's a, it's a functional medicine, integrative medicine lab that does these tests. So for you, for the most part, so 
we do have that for our patients. Um, and I, I have to agree with you. I love, I love seeing the curves. Um, it tells a lot about a patient um, that maybe you don't always get in an interview. Um, so I, I want to take that a little a step further. You mentioned, um, well, there's two ways to go with this. You mentioned recovery time, and I think it's super important to talk about recovery time with, um, with HPA axis dysfunction. But also, um, I just want to touch on insulin resistance because I think that um, metabolic dysfunction and HPA axis aren't talked about enough. And, you know, everyone just, you know, loves to say to me, oh, it's genetic, you know, my sugars are going up. Oh, well, you know, and I think it's so important to discuss this um, as, you know, gut dysfunction, insulin dysregulation, um, hormone imbalance, you know, as you go through menopause and hormone changes, how that really does affect insulin. So mm -hmm. if you want to just touch on that a little bit, um, and then I want to talk about how long it takes to get better. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so cortisol is a glucocorticoid, um, and it, it regulates metabolism and, you know, the immune response as well. So, you know, like you said, there's like gut infections, um, any, any infection, really systemic um, inflammation of any kind from any, any reason. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does help control the blood sugar. And, and so what happens is, you know, if you're having um, high blood sugar, like these high spikes from meals, or you're, you're going into kind of a blood sugar low or crash, um, either after a high sugar meal, high processed food meal, or because you skipped a meal, your body's going to respond and say, okay, I don't want you to pass out. I, I want you to have blood sugar in a normal range between 70 to 100 because I want you to stay alive, right? Again, it's our stress response hormone. It's going to keep us alive. It's survival. So what happens is it, it recognizes that we have this low blood sugar um, and our body will release it in a, in a stress response manner in order to... Um, basically release stores of glucose. We call it um, glycogen is the stored form of glucose and that's found in our liver. That's how we store um, our, our sugar basically in the form of glycogen. And so it's, it's a process called gluconeogenesis. So gluconeo means new and genesis means a process to create. So we, we create glucose from our glycogen stores um, to increase our, um, our blood glucose levels. And so that's awesome because our body naturally maintains homeostasis, which is like our, our ability to like, if something's low, we bring it up to normal. If it's something's high, we, we bring it back down to, to normal, right? Like we have these set ranges. Um, I always kind of describe it to my patients as like a thermostat and a furnace or an AC unit, right? Like if it's too hot in your house, the thermostat's the detector that detects that and it turns on the air conditioning to bring the temperature down and vice versa with the thermos and it being too cold. Um, so our body does that and um, maintains that with all, all these different processes, our thyroid, our blood sugar, you know, all that stuff. Um, so that's kind of the mechanism behind it. And, and what ends up happening is if we, if we do this too often over time, we'll actually overshoot. 
sometimes, and then we'll have way too much. And then we have to release insulin. I'm saying we have too much glucose in our blood. Um, and then we have to release insulin in order to help uptake our glucose into our cells to utilize it. And when we have these, this process happening all the time, like high blood sugar, low blood sugar, insulin, cortisol, we start having this metabolic mass of, of, you know, it's like tug of war. Right. Um, and then that's what will lead to our insulin resistance. So do you have more to add to that? Oh, that was, that was a perfect explanation. I think, um, what people need to understand is that the stressors in our life and, and people ask like where you let off what stressors are. And I like how you put them into buckets. Cause I tend to do the same thing. Um, you know, it could just be chronic gut inflammation, like foods irritate you all the time or food sensitivities, or maybe you have a bug that we haven't found, or maybe it's just stress in your life or you're not sleeping. All these things can elevate or eventually decrease cortisol levels and can have a significant effect on um, your insulin and your sugar levels, which can lead to fatigue or not utilizing your sugars appropriately in long-term, obviously diabetes and can definitely exacerbate it. Um, so no, I think that's perfect. And I think by that same token, we need to remind people that that takes a really long time to happen. It doesn't generally happen overnight. Um, this process is months to years, right? Unless you were in the ICU and you were super sick and your body was under tremendous amounts of stress for whatever reason, general, or car accidents and that kind of thing. Generally speaking, um, it takes a long time to get there. And I think by the same token, what you'll most likely agree with me is it takes a long time to recover. Um, so I just got a question. So if, if you do have, um, HPA access dysfunction, um, what can you do to make it better if there's no prescription? Um, so I think that we can talk about that for maybe, I know we can go brief. We don't have to go crazy. Give them some basic, some basic things. Obviously there's a couple things I love. I'll throw those out there. Um, yeah. meditation, right. One of the most proven, um, data driven, ways to decrease cortisol levels over time. Um, and now that we have apps and phones and everything, it's so easy to do five to 10 minutes of meditation a day. Um, there's obviously, we can replace a lot of the nutrients that are sometimes missing, um, which is why cortisol becomes what I call overdrive or, or too high or too low. Um, we can start replacing those and fixing the gut and healing up the gut, which I almost always start at gut. Um, to me, the gut immune inflammation system is so strong that it almost, to me, I call it the overriding pyramid. It literally is probably the one that's affecting you the most nine times out of 10. Um, so we do a lot of gut, maybe some food avoidance, but a lot of gut healing. And um, so the other thing I do is probably um, some, depending on which end of the spectrum you're on, calming herbs. There's tons of calming herbs to help obviously shut the system down a bit. And by the same token, there's glandulars, which are literally, I always say they're extracts from an animal from the adrenal gland that pump it the other direction, right? That help to raise it. So um, there are supplements that I find can help a lot. Um, I think lifestyle modification is one of the biggest things you can do, especially as an athlete. Um, rest, time, meditation, stretching, recovery um, are huge. I'm actually a big believer in actually not um, having a huge glycogen store too. I don't know how you feel about that, Stacey, but if you 
kind of get off the sugar and deplete a lot of the glycogen that's in your system and start working off of more of a fat-based system, you'll find that the cortisol levels regulate a lot more easily as well. Um, I don't know. What did I miss, Stace? Um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, like admitting, admitting that this could be a problem, right? Like step one, um, two, like you said, you know, you, like I, I normally tell patients, look, um, the great wall of China was not built in a day. Right. So it, it took you a long time to get here and it's maybe going to take, I usually tell them at least double the time. So if you've been under stress for six months, it's probably going to take you a year. If you've been under stress for five years, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's going to take you 10 years, but it's, it's going to take a while. I have patients that work on this for two to five years. And the other caveat to that is that in a perfect world, right? Like if you live in a bubble and you, or you live on a cloud in the sky with rainbows and butterflies and little bluebirds um, singing above your head, like snow white, you're going to get better in a timely fashion. But if you are still being exposed to stress, whether it's an infection in your system that we need to manage, um, if it's mental and emotional stress, whatever your diet is, what, what, wherever, you know, we've determined um, that your stress is coming from, those are the things you need to work on. So absolutely meditation like you said is is very well researched and proven and there's there's tons of apps um breathing exercises can be very helpful especially if people have anxiety um just mindful eating is is a big one too um i mentioned epsom salt baths earlier like you said for athletes but just in general can be helpful a lot of people are magnesium deficient anyway so on, on that note when people when i tell people you know epsom salt it's not a couple teaspoons guys <laughs> oh yeah i i get that a lot oh i put salt in my bath i said no you need like several cups there's actually a lot of recipes out there you can we can pull you up a million of them but it's cups of epsom salts because magnesium yeah. is very calming right so um yeah yeah. Even if you just. Absolutely. Your- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, to that point also then, you know, what calms you, um, water, um, nature sounds, certain smells like essential oils, you know, if you don't like lavender, um, you know, peppermint stimulating, but maybe you like minty things better. I don't know. Like whatever brings you joy are things that we need to do for ourselves. Like if you like dancing, let's get, you know, Sean T hip hop abs. Uh, That was the one I started with years and years ago. And all my friends made fun of me, but I was like, you know what? I like dancing. I was in jazz and tap and ballet when I was a kid and it brings me joy. So make fun of me all you want, but I'm going to do my exercise, you know, like whatever. Right. Um, music, listening to music, playing music, unless it frustrates you, um, you know, just finding a group community is huge too, right? Like maybe you join a book group. Um, I joined a book group at one point and so I got shamed <laughs> for not reading the book and I listened to the audiobook, but Um, I didn't, I, I didn't fib about it. I let them, I let them shame me, but it was fun because we, you know, we had, um, 
uh, a dinner and we talked about the book and we got together once a month, like whatever you enjoy. Right. If you need to make a list, make a list. Um, Find things, you know, journaling might be helpful for some people. Um, Yeah, I actually encourage my patients to daily journal because I feel like there's certain things in their lives that they'll figure out are causing stress that they didn't realize until they start journaling. Um, Yeah, and that's it. Find your triggers. During COVID, that was a big thing for my patients. I feel like Mm. they had such monotony um, in their lives. I'm actually going to trigger that to COVID for a minute because we have about, I think. Um, I just want to give like a brief discussion about, and I'll I'll start it off because I I love to talk about this and I feel like (laughs) COVID and I have a lot of post COVID patients right now. And I think that this HPA axis dysfunction is key to understanding chronic inflammation and what I would call just chronic body dysfunction. Let's just call it what it is because it's one of the most central processes in our body. Um, When we have a disease and if it's COVID fine, and I see it a lot with Lyme, then what happens is we, our bodies are turned on all the time. Our immune system is going crazy. Our our gut could have started it. Who knows, right? It could have started as inflammation in the gut. Then you get a bug and then it starts this cascade effect of chronic inflammation. And you might not know it as anything that you feel until it becomes a symptom, right? Until it becomes something that you're like, man, I, my stomach hurts all the time when I eat, or I have this brain fog that's irretractable. It won't go away. Um, Headaches that I can't get rid of. And, you know, again, it took us, gosh, probably 15, 20 years to realize Lyme had all these prolonged effects. And, And you can argue what you want about Lyme and whether we get rid of it or not, or, so I'm not going to go down that route right now, but I think if we, we can all agree that there are prolonged neurologic and prolonged um, musculoskeletal effects from Lyme disease. And we can even argue that there's prolonged HPA axis dysfunction from Lyme and other metabolic dysregulation. So I'm finding in labs and in my patients that very similar things are coming post-COVID. And it can be people that were not sick at all. You know, maybe they had a cough, some sneeze, runny nose. And I will tell you almost universally low cortisol levels, um, high CRPs, low complement, which is a cell that fights infection. Um, just like in, in Lyme, they actually go down because they're consumed, right? They're, they're basically bound and they're busy um, and you can't find them. And the other crazy thing is, is almost everyone is complaining of digestive issues, I would say 95% of these people um, are complaining, man, you know, I really didn't have a bad gut. Like maybe I had some food issues. You know, everybody thinks irritable bowel is normal um, in the United States anyway. Um, Right. It's like, I just have have IBS. I just have IBS. Oh, is it IBS? Yes, for sure. It's IBS and all the other things. What is IBS? Okay. So anyway, I just feel like that is such a, um, it's almost like to me, if we're going to look for the common link, I think a lot of it is gut disorder and probably some HPA axis dysfunction before they get sick. They get COVID and then it's like, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's that last thing that just said, wow, I can't keep up with the demand anymore. Again, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul and they get all these downstream effects. So, all right, I'm going to throw the ball in your court. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to that point, if you're looking at, 
you know, we've, we've always known if somebody gets a, a flu virus or, you know, if they get sick or they have um, a traumatic brain injury, they get in a car accident, whatever, this could potentially spark the, the immune system into, you know, a type of autoimmunity and, and actually HPA axis dysfunction in stage three, we, we really consider it as an autoimmune condition, right? Like this is where, you know, we talk about like, oh, well, I, intermittent fasting is so great. And I, I don't know how, you know, how you talk to your patients about it. But when I have a stage three HPA access patient, I'm like, well, we're not going to start there, right? Like we're going to start with just cleaning up your diet. Um, and this kind of leads me into the whole concept of like chicken or the egg, right? Like were you susceptible and then you got this and then it made it worse and and it it creates this vicious cycle so we don't know what your terrain was before but we know what your terrain is now and we know these infections wherever they come from they cause inflammation and immune response and hpa axis stimulation and the stress response causes in turn then dysbiosis it causes um, inflammation, it causes, you know, secretory IgA imbalances, and, and, and then you get gut permeability, leaky gut, hyperpermeability, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, where, where then you're more prone to more infections. Um, so it, it decreases GI motility, right? So, you know, even you're looking at all these patients then potentially leading into other gut issues and bacterial overgrowth. Um, you know, you, you just become more susceptible. Um, so that's kind of how it, it will go into like gut issues, cause inflammation, cause HPA axis dysfunction, which then in, tar- in turn causes more gut issues. Like we just talked about dysbiosis, inflammation, leaky gut, more infection. So you, you go into this sad, vicious cycle, but, um, you know, touching on the immune system, um, you know, elevated and prolonged stress, no matter what it's from, right? Like if it's from these infections, um, it then in turn disrupts immune function. So, you know, we're talking about inhibiting immune cells and, and functions of like lymphocytes and macrophages and leukocytes and, at the same time, stress can cause the decrease of production of many of the cytokines and other mediators of inflammatory molecules. So in a nutshell, chronic stress alters the body's ability to fend off infection and inflammation by limiting these key pieces of the immune system as well as debilitating some of them. So, you know, we, we do kind of create this vicious cycle. Um, and then, you know, if you want to get into you know, inflammation systemically and in general over a long period of time will then go into causing the microglial cells to jump into action in the, in the brain. Um, (laughs) What's that? You stole the thunder. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. So so then that promotes phagocytosis and more like antibody antigen responses. Um, And then it, and then it depends on like what tissue becomes involved, right? So if it's like your basal ganglia, then you might get something like panzer pandas, which is the infection that, you know, induced autoimmune conditions that disrupts normal neurologic function. Um, 
And that can lead to like obsessive compulsive disorder, motor function tics and stuff like that. Um, or maybe it affects your cerebellum um, and, and you start getting some sort of like gait disorder. You start having difficulty swallowing or talking um, and your coordination suffers and, and it can affect your um, different neurotransmitters as well and, and other cell types, which leads you to more weakness and fatigue and neuron fatigue and, and so on. I actually found a new lab. That's great. And we have about three minutes, just FYI. Oh. Okay, that's good. But there's a new lab that I've been using a lot, and I found that there's some amazing um, neuroantibodies that I've been running on people um, to get a better idea of where we're going with, you know, with these disease processes, right? Like, what is the long term or down? You know, how do we stop this antibody response? And that's that's really what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to shut off this antigen antibody response, which you're calling, you know, the autoimmunity, right? Your stage three years or um, or now that we're talking about neuroantibodies, I mean, to me, it's it just it's this crazy continuum that just gets worse. Um, but I'm actually finding some really good lab data to track these kind of things. And and we're not just talking about COVID, um, you know, to back up, you know, with a traumatic brain injury or even um, people that have other types of HPA axis dysfunction. Um, I'm actually starting to run those neuroantibodies on these these patients and really finding some fascinating results. Um, and working on trying to get that test to come up negative, you know, six months, a year, you're right, a year to two years down the line, once we start mm-hmm. shutting down that, that autoimmune response. Um, it's really interesting. So, you know, I, I know it's super controversial, guys, and, um, you know, I kind of like to be on the fringe anyway. So, you know, I think that what we're going to find um, using all this information that Stacy gave us is we're all under a ton of stress right now. Um, even if you're working from home and you think life is easier, it's just different. And we need to think about what it, that's doing to our HPA axis and whether we're talking about COVID's direct effect on it or what we had going on before COVID. Um, I think it's just important to understand that. I, I joke, there's two arms of people. There's people that got skinny during COVID and there's people that gained weight during COVID, right? And you either went out and you worked out like crazy or you were not going to the gym and you were cooking all the time and you're trying new foods and sitting home with your family and eating. And either direction you went can cause an HPA axis dysfunction, right? So I, I think that we really need to look at cortisol more critically when it comes to disease. And I always say gut immune inflammation and I love bugs. Um, but I think that this really brings it relevant to COVID and making sure that we understand, yes, we might've had COVID mildly, right? It might not have been a big deal, but people are having tons of downstream effects from this. And um, with the last 30 seconds, I'm going to say, Stacey, you are amazing. Um, Lots of of perfect information, um, the great amount of uh, medical terminology. If anybody has any questions, they can reach out to me on info at mydrlurie.com. I can also patch in Stacy too. We can just kind of uh, tag her in some of these emails and ask her some questions. She's great at education. And if you want to work on your HPA axis, you can get some supplements at mydrlori.com, M-Y-D-R-L-O-R-I.com. And with that, have a great night, guys. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to Anti-Aging Unraveled. Be sure to join Dr. Lori Gerber again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week and keep you aging gracefully. We'll be right back. 